Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G. Mark Hardy, and today we're going to talk about, are you ready to win your first CISO gig? This is an opportunity to learn some tips and tricks about how to navigate the hiring process if you're looking for your first CISO job, or maybe if you're looking to step up a level to the next CISO job. In any case, please listen in. I think you'll enjoy this. And as always, make sure you're following us on LinkedIn because you get so much more than our episodes. And please make sure that you give us a thumbs up somewhere so other people can find us as well. On our CISO Tradecraft podcast, we talk a lot about the role of a CISO. And one of the things we haven't spent much time on is how to actually win a CISO position. So let's take a look at the process of what that looks like and how you need to perform to bring home the bacon. The first thing to know is that not all CISO jobs are the same. There can be a huge difference in roles. Here are just a few examples. The first role we'll look at is the startup CISO. The CISO role is being created in a new startup, and so you're the first cyber employee. Wow, well, this means that you'll generally spend your time building up the organization and explaining why cyber processes are needed. Unfortunately, your peers might see cyber as slowing down the rapid innovation and expansion of the company, and you'll fight constant battles for funding with both for tools and as well as for any additional staff. The second type of CISO role is a segment CISO role, which can be commonly thought of as a business information security officer or BISO role. In the segment CISO role, you'll have a big focus on product security and cyber policy interpretation and vulnerability management for a large division of a company. However, you won't actually oversee the security operations center or the engineering efforts. And thus, your ability to control and determine security-relevant decisions, such as which antivirus or DLP or firewall or WAF or SIM the organization should choose, is extremely limited. However, this can be a great opportunity to learn how to influence and persuade others when you do not have management authority. The third CISO role is actually a split CISO role. For example, large banks may split the CISO role between one which is technical and one which is not technical. And this is very common in the financial sector where they leverage a three lines of defense model. The first line is focused on management of the cyber defenses. The second line is focused on risk management and compliance. And the third line is internal audit. So the biggest problem is the first and second line CISOs need to be on the same page with what they're telling their executives. For example, if the first line CISO says we need to spend $2 million to overhaul the SOC, and the second line CISO says, well, instead, we need to spend those $2 million on increased maturity with SOC 2 compliance. The executive team gets mixed messages, and that confusion will likely push back a decision on where to fund, when to fund, what to fund. It's creating a lose-lose situation for both CISOs. Now, that being said, if you can get on the same page, having two different cyber leaders informing executives how to improve cybersecurity makes for a great approach to changing the organization, particularly if you're able to go ahead and deliver a unified message. And the fourth type of CISO role is that of a traditional CISO that owns a show. And that person has management authority over the SOC, over GRC, over security engineering, pretty much all the security functions. There isn't a second line of cyber defense per se. Remember, that's the risk management and compliance function, but now the CISO owns all that. But there is an audit function. And when you're in this CISO role, you have full accountability for when things go well or go badly. And hopefully you're considered an officer of the company, which 
or grant director and officer's insurance because this role can come with a great deal of potential professional liability. Okay, so now that we've seen four different types of CISO roles, let's understand that there are tiers of CISO level roles, which are generally based on pay scales and the size of the organization. For example, most large Fortune 100 companies will not hire a first-time CISO. They want someone with proven CISO experience. These Fortune 100 companies can also pay the million-dollar salaries and bonuses to attract top-tier talent. Now, if you're a cybersecurity senior director managing a team of 10, making 200K, saying to yourself, well, my dream is to become a CISO at a Fortune 100 company, then consider the following path. Take a CISO role at a small company with an entry-level salary. It could be a couple hundred grand, could be three to 400K, where you oversee a cyber department of 25 people. Now, here you get more time working with executives and getting practice on how to drive the entire cyber strategy for the company. Don't get too hung up on compensation at this point. There are government opportunities. There are nonprofit opportunities that are not going to be able to pay these top-level salaries, but can give you some spectacular experience and some great resume credentials that are going to allow you to go ahead and move up to a higher level. So be careful about chasing the dollars right out of the door. You might find out that doing so is a little bit frustrating because there are those who have already put in the time and have built the credentials and have been willing to sacrifice a little bit of the short-term income for the opportunity to make more in the long run. Now, after a few years of doing your small company bit or nonprofit or government, you decide you want to move to a medium-sized corporation. Now your salary doubles. Maybe you can make as much as 600 grand with maybe even up to 800 grand when you've got bonuses and incentives in there. Now, the cyber organization you oversee is now 50 to 100 people, which means you've got twice as many activities to supervise. And since the organization is larger, there's a huge focus on compliance and controls. The company has mentally shifted from just enough cyber to survive being hacked to the mindset of how can we win against the larger businesses who are our competition? And this generally means you need to pass a SOC 2 type 2 type of an audit, generate that report, or have an ISO 27001 certification. Mid-sized companies also need to spend more time on retaining their best employees since they're generally at the most risk of being poached by companies that can pay more and sometimes pay a lot more. And finally, after being a CISO at a medium-sized company for a few years, you get called by an executive search firm who's looking to fill a large company CISO role. The large company wants you to lead the cyber organization of 200-plus folks and offers you a package of $1.5 million to run the show. Oh. Now, that's kind of aspirational, and some people get there. Personally, I'm not there, and I'm probably not on that track. But have enough professional associates have been able to be successful that I can credibly share these insights with you. Now, different companies recruit differently, but often use similar approaches based on company size. Small companies will post their CISO roles on LinkedIn. Medium-sized companies will use both HR recruiters and executive search companies to find qualified applicants. Large companies will 100% outsource their executive recruiting to one or more executive search firms or promote from within. Now, if you're looking for a large company CISO role on LinkedIn, I think you're in the wrong place. Now, let's say your friend works at a healthcare company and tells you that their CISOs just left the company. They're now looking for a new CISO, and your friend is going to recommend you as the next CISO to the recruiter. Well, first of all, that's awesome. This is exactly the type of personal network 
that you want to be building. Now, you need to focus on winning that role. So let's go through the process. The first thing that someone will look at is your resume and your LinkedIn profile. So you need to make sure those look like an executive. Let's start with an example of, well, what not to do. You list all the technologies that you've learned over the last 15 or 20 years on your resume. The resume contains a lot about the activities of performing risk assessments, finding vulnerabilities during pen tests, and performing incident response. Now, anyone, any type of recruiter who reads your resume gets a feeling that this applicant reads kind of like, well, a computer or a programmer or a technical person. They can tell you're smart. They can tell you're technical, but they can't tell you if you're any good at your soft skills. And additionally, since your resume focused on all the busy work of activities, recruiters don't actually know if you're effective and if you could go ahead and manage teams to make that happen. Now, this can be a big problem if your resume also shows a pattern of job hopping every two years or less. Recruiters may be wondering, were you fired? Were you ineffective? Or were you just chasing the money? Basically, all bad signs that signal you're an unnecessary risk that many recruiters and hiring managers may tend to avoid. Okay, so if you don't want to focus your resume on only technical expertise and activities, well, what should you write about? Your resume should focus on three things, technical skills, soft skills, and executive leadership skills. Now, one example of how you might accomplish this is by placing an executive summary section at the top of your resume that says something like the following. The first point to make is you enable and safeguard the business. You're considered an expert in application security, product security, cloud security, DevOps, and desktop security. You led three organizations through the successful adoption of Amazon Web Services, as well as the application of security controls. This is technical enough for an HR or CFO representative to understand what you did and the impact you made without the excessive detail of tool names like Fortify or WebInspect or Qualys or Jenkins, which really kind of mean nothing to a recruiter. The second point to make is that you are a great communicator who can connect, convey, persuade, and influence. You communicate effectively with both technical and non-technical audiences, and that's key. Over the last two years, you led the vulnerability management program to understand what posed the biggest risk to the organization. By leveraging gamification techniques, you drastically changed the culture and reduced the vulnerabilities and critical SOX opportunities. By leveraging gamification techniques, you drastically change the culture and reduce the vulnerabilities in critical SOX applications by 90%. And this occurred because you led the identification of the technical vulnerabilities that were most likely to be impactful to the company. And by repeatedly working with the CIO and direct reports, changes occurred. You kept the executive team informed of the various progresses, and you met key objectives throughout the year. Now, the last point to make into the executive summary section is that you are a great executive leader who inspires others. You focus on the people within your organization by building talent pipelines to retain employees. You champion diversity initiatives through employee resource groups and found novel ways to attract new talent. For example, this year you notice that the third-party vendor review process seemed to require high attention to detail, and the process also appeared to be very repetitive. Your team members were not taking to the task and nobody really wanted to do it well. So you partnered with a company that focuses on providing neurodiverse talent. And this resulted in the cyber organization bringing on talent that had incredible strengths in detail-oriented roles with repetitive tasking. 
your current organization built a competitive strength from attracting new talent that most organizations have avoided. Your partnership with the neurodiverse community created incredible company loyalty and promoted a very positive brand within the community. Now, once recruiters get past the executive summary section of your resume, it's time to highlight your job experiences. Remember, don't get bogged down in just listing all the activities that you performed and the technologies you know. Tell a story using the STAR method. STAR stands for situation, task, action, and result. For example, as the head of the incident response team, I was responsible for leading 20 analysts to perform 24 by 7 coverage of security incidents across the company. And this meant that I had to understand how log activity was occurring from databases, desktops, and server applications. I also needed to create an optimized process where logs could be filtered to create cyber attack alerts on risky activities. And therefore, I led the team to compare our logs against the MITRE attack framework, which identifies the most probable attack methods used by bad actors to attack a target. We created custom alerts in our security information and event management tools, our SIM, as well as automated responses in our security orchestration and automated response platform. That's a SOAR. Now, again, when you mention those, spell them out, put the acronym in parentheses right after it, just in case the reader's not familiar with it. Okay, so let's finish. And as a result of these focused alerts and automated responses, we reduced the volume of data needed for our SOC to process. This resulted in a million dollars in cost savings, quicker response times to alerts, and huge improvements in employee morale within the security operations center. Analysts went from chasing false positives 80% of the time to less than 20% of the time. And these changes to organization resulted in stopping two major cyber attacks by ransomware operators. Now, how did that sound? A little bit of focus of what you're doing. You go ahead, you look at the situation. We talked about the task, the actions we took, and the result. If you can show positive results because of your leadership, because of your direction, because of your actions, you've got a much stronger story to tell. See, if any recruiter reads that resume, they'll say, well, look what this person has done. That looks pretty awesome. And this is the right type of talent that we want at our company. Now, you don't need to list all the technologies and boring activities. Remember, you are no longer applying for a technical role. You are applying for an executive role. And you're showing recruiting and hiring managers how you create impact, which is what they want. Once you start using the STAR format to describe your career accomplishments across multiple jobs, you need to ensure your resume shows you as a well-rounded CISO. Now, this is important because if people only think of you as the incident response CISO, and this new role needs to lead an audit and compliance team as well, then you're going to be deemed unqualified. So here, I've got a couple recommendations. First, look at the job description. Job descriptions contain the checklist of hiring requirements that you need to display in your resume. And make sure your resume can speak to most of those requirements. Be careful about painting into the corners. If there's 20 things on that list and you list exactly 20 things in your resume, no more, no less, you're just sort of parroting back the job description. Remember what the purpose of this resume is to do. It's to get you that interview. You want to have 16, 17 of the 20. That's a good hit. And then you can talk about the difference on the rest of them. So be very careful about trying to be a little bit too cutesy in terms of how you put your information together. But also, there's an absolute strong case to customizing your CV to a particular opportunity. If you have the same thing you throw at everybody, it may or may not work very well. 
Now, secondly, we find it's helpful to make one resume that can be applicable for most CISO posts. Now, if you want to do that, okay, then you can apply for 20 different jobs with minimal effort. But again, if I'm looking for somebody who's going to do a CISO role, do I want somebody who is good at minimum possible effort? Maybe not. But if you want to go that way, at least to go ahead and hopefully that it breaks the ice and gets you started, you can go ahead and look at the CISO mind map from Rafiq Rahman. You may remember him from episode number 86. We brought him on the podcast to talk about his CISO mind map. And you can also find a large number of activities that you need to demonstrate to be a well-rounded CISO. We've taken his mind map and summarized them to create the top 10 knowledge domains of being a CISO. And if you're looking to identify the top 10 CISO domains, please check out CISO Tradecraft episodes number 59 and 60, where we provide a lot more detail. All right. Once you've got your resume in working order, but you need to know if it's effective. The way you know it's effective is by the results. Let's say you apply to 20 CISO jobs on LinkedIn. And if you get asked to meet with the HR representative in three to five of those organizations, you know your resume is working. If you get asked to meet six or more times and you know your resume is working really well. Now, if you don't get at least three interviews, well, something's wrong with your resume or it's either poorly written or the job levels you're competing for are too far out of your current job experiences. Remember, if you haven't been a CISO before, it really doesn't matter how well your resume is written when you apply to be a Fortune 100 CISO role. The sad truth is you're just not going to make the cut. Okay, so let's say we've got some good news and your resume found its way to a recruiter who read it, has asked you to make an appointment for a phone call or a Zoom meeting. What should you focus on during that 30-minute conversation? Your focus should be on one thing, getting to the next step in the recruiting process. That's it. Recruiters want to tell you about the culture of the company. They want to see if you'll be a good fit within it. They'll also be on lookout to see if you have too much of an ego. And to differentiate yourself from other candidates who might be all absorbed into themselves, you need to emphasize that you're humble and collaborative. You can partner to change an organization at the right place. See, nobody wants a CISO to come in like a bull in a china shop. Now, I don't know if you're a CEO, it's a different story. But imagine you get a question that says, what would you do first if you took the role as a CISO? Now, if you respond from a technical point of view and say, well, I'm going to look at antivirus and secure the WAF and perform pen tests, then you'll fail the interview. You must focus on the human experience. So try to respond with something like the following. I'm going to meet with my boss, my direct employees, and various peers across the organization. I'm going to ask questions from them to understand what's working well, what isn't working well, and what things the cyber organization should be doing to improve the business. Once I hear repeated themes, I need to understand why certain decisions have been made or haven't been made. There's important history to understand why certain decisions failed or didn't go smoothly. And once I know those, I can prioritize opportunities based on level of effort versus the impact to improve cybersecurity. I'll present my findings within the first 90 days of arrival as a new cyber strategy to the executive leadership team. Pending buy-in, of course, I'll work to create a program plan that outlines when these activities can be accomplished and go from there. Now, if you compare these two answers, the first one's about technical skills and your ego. Remember, I got to look at the antivirus, secure the WAP, et cetera. I can find all the security problems and fix them with just technology. Mm, no, that's not what you're looking for. The second answer is about partnership, influence, and socialization to begin the journey. The second answer gets you past the HR recruiter gatekeeper and towards an interview with the hiring manager. 
The other question you can likely expect to receive is something like, tell me a little bit about yourself and why you're applying for this role. Now, they don't want a life story. They want a concise recap of your resume. So give them the Cliff Notes version. Well, I earned a computer science degree and went to work at my first job at the XYZ company. And here we learned how to be an IT security analyst by performing incident response and troubleshooting firewalls and laptops. Then took a job as a GRC specialist where I helped audit various organizations to understand their cybersecurity controls and practice. Got to learn a lot about compliance and ensure the organization was adhered to it. I knew I wanted to do cybersecurity leadership for the rest of my career, so I completed an MBA that allowed me to understand the mindset of being a business executive. And after graduation, I took a management job as the leader of the DevSecOps organization. I led a team of 15 people that provided all the software tools to developers. It was pretty awesome, and we hosted 10 different tools that allowed nearly 10,000 developers to build software cheaper, faster, and better than ever before. And finally, I took a role as a manager over 10 business information security officers to partner with executives and transform cybersecurity within the organization. We reduced vulnerabilities by 90% while also launching major IT programs that were secure and they greatly benefited the company. It was a lot of fun to help this organization. I've been really looking forward to another opportunity to do something similar. And I guess that's what caught my eye about this role when I saw the job description. Remember to keep your answers short and succinct. That might have actually been a little bit too long. See, the recruiter may have 20 questions to ask you in a 30-minute call, so it's best to keep your answers to less than one or maybe two minutes each. If you spend 10 minutes responding to the initial question about your history, then HR won't be able to complete their interview score sheet. And essentially, HR may conclude that you're long-winded and they'll likely have to reject you as a candidate. So be clear, be concise, and be ready to move on to the next question. Now, at the end of the recruiter interview, you'll get asked, what questions do you have for us? Remember, you're talking to a recruiter, not the CIO. The recruiter is judging you based on the questions you ask since it shows how socially astute you are. So try asking a couple questions like this. Can you tell me a little bit about the hiring manager's leadership style and the culture that seems to work best here at this organization? And what do you like best about working here at this organization? See, the first question is focused on culture and leadership. You show that you're interested in how the company behaves, not just what the job entails. And that should create a positive vibe for the recruiter. Now, the second question allows you to continue positive feelings since you're talking about what the other person likes best. And this can bring up even more positive vibes. And the end result is you've created two questions that result in positive feelings within the recruiter's mind. And now the recruiter's thinking that maybe you're quite likable and we're having a great conversation and this might work out. Now, the last question you need to ask about is the next step to win the job. Say something like, I've really enjoyed learning from you about this company and it's wonderful culture and it seems like a place I'd love to be a part of. Can you tell me more about the hiring process and what the next steps are that need to happen? See, once again, you're asking the recruiter about something that they should know a lot about. You're also informing them of your interest to continue the interview process. And after the recruiter informs you of the next steps, simply say, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Will you be recommending me to talk to the next person for an interview? It's simple. It's direct. And you'll generally get the feedback to know how well you did. Now let's keep going. Soon you get fantastic news because the recruiter enjoyed the conversation of setting up an interview with the hiring manager. And now you get a chance to actually learn about the role from your future boss. The boss tells you about the role and what they're trying to do within the company. 
They'll ask you about your background and you can provide a similar answer to what you told the recruiter. The hiring manager asks if you're technical and can talk to engineers and get their respect. And the answer to that question is clearly yes. And you need to give an example to validate that you can be technical. For example, you might say that you know, in your hobby time, you write Python code to script out some security ideas that you want to implement, but you don't have a vendor tool to do that for you yet. Now, don't fib here, though. I mean, getting caught in a lie is a great way to terminate your hiring process on the spot. You also need to highlight how you can communicate with non-technical executives. For example, if the hiring manager asks about your approach to risk management, you might say, I think there's a lot of risk management is about making informed decisions. And one thing I like to do is meet with the CFO. I like to ask for spending level authorities within the company to understand them because this allows me to learn things like a manager can approve a $10,000 purchase, a director can approve a $100,000 purchase, and VP can approve a million-dollar purchase. So what? Because once I understand the currently accepted spending authorities, I can then determine risk tolerance and who has the authority to make certain decisions. Think about it. If a director can only approve $100,000 in new software, then a director should only be able to accept software risk of equivalent value. I look at risk assessments to determine the likelihood and impact of perceived risks and create estimates in terms of dollars. I like to talk to executives about what is the benefit to the business with the software and what is the consequence in terms of risk. And this allows a business leadership to make risk-informed decisions going forward. I learned a long time ago, if I only tell the business no, they'll just go around me. However, if I provide them with all the facts and allow them to make informed business decisions, they generally arrive at the right outcome. So I make sure risk management decisions are formally documented and approved at the appropriate levels to enable profitable growth for the business while being secure. Hmm. Okay, so now the hiring manager knows you're technical and have the ability to work with executives and influence the organization. The hiring manager asks, what questions you have for me? Now, here's some great questions to ask a hiring manager. How has this role changed over the last year? What are the biggest changes that you see coming to the role in the next 12 months? How about, can you tell me about the current team size of the organization and the roles and responsibilities I would have in this role? And are there any plans for the team to increase in size or scope within the next six to 12 months? Can you tell me a bit more about reporting responsibilities? For example, who reports to the board of directors or signs SEC documents about the status of the cybersecurity program? Can you tell me about the organizational structure of the IT department? What's the reporting structure of this role with respect to the CIO? Is there a second line cyber risk organization in place? What do you envision as the hardest part of my new job? Imagine yourself a year in the future and you say to yourself, wow, I'm so glad we hired this person. What accomplishments would you have seen from this role that would have made it successful? All right. Now, these aren't exact questions. I don't think you want to just use this as a script, but they allow you to learn about the role and if the role is actually positioned for success. Remember, if they can't tell you what success looks like in a year from now, then you probably can't achieve it. And also, if you don't have the resources or reporting structure that you feel is necessary to achieve success, then you should avoid taking the job. I have seen some times where the CISO job is really the chief internal scapegoat officer. And it comes with responsibility without authority. And it puts you in a situation where you don't get the opportunity to make the correct influences to make things successful. Be on the lookout for that. Not everybody is setting you up for success. I have turned down job opportunities 
because it just didn't feel right. And later on, find out that that spidey sense was actually correct. So if you get a feel that something's just not right, take a little bit of extra time or poke around a little bit or be careful about moving your family and your career in a different location if it turns out that this is not going to work out. Now, we've talked about a lot of things, and the big point to remember is you need to be agile. You need to focus on how to accomplish the next step and to move forward. And then ask the questions that the person on the other side of the table can answer. You want to create an atmosphere where the questions you ask make you viewed in a positive light. And if you do these things and highlight your skills in a way that shows you as a collaborative and humble executive, then you've created the best opportunity to win your first CISO role. We'll have to continue this episode with part two at a later time that focuses on negotiating the best hiring package and things to watch out for in an employment contract. So be sure to be subscribed to the CISO Tradecraft podcast, and that way you can get all the future episodes as soon as they're produced. So thanks again for listening to CISO Tradecraft, and we're so grateful to have you as our listeners. And if you learned something today, please leave us a review on your podcast platform, hopefully five stars, and drop us a comment on LinkedIn. We'd love to know what you like best about this episode. If we've given you any advice that's helped you land a job and receive your feedback on how we can improve the show. And if you prefer, you can also leave us a comment on our website at CISOTradeCraft.com. This is your host, G. Mark Hardy. Thanks again for listening and stay safe out there.